It's the time of year when we're all thinking about goals and priorities. Now is the time to plan your next trip. Whatever kind of travel fills you up, whether it's lounging on the beach, connecting with family and friends, or going on a foreign adventure, Expedia has the tools you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a OneKey member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. NetCredit is here to say yes, because you're more than a credit score. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partners. NetCredit, credit to the people. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. Anne Lamott was born in 1954 to San Francisco intellectuals Kenneth and Dorothy Lamott. She was the middle child and their only girl. Her father, a writer, was raised in Tokyo to Christian missionaries. It was a religious upbringing that he found cold and unsupportive. So when he had a family of his own, he turned away from religion and God, encouraging Anne and her brothers to instead put their faith in books, in music, and nature. They were a family of non-believers, except for Anne. As early as age five, she says, she secretly began to pray, believing in her heart that someone was listening. I'm so happy that you're here. You know, you're a person I was so excited to meet. I actually followed on Twitter. <gasps> oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of your followers. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I have been for like over a year now, I think. Yeah, yes. I just started last March, I think. Yeah, mm -hmm. now it's my life. Now it's your yeah. life. You yeah. give you give really intelligent, thoughtful, writer-like tweets, I must oh, say. Oh, well, thank you. Yes. Yeah. And also so happy to talk about this book, Help Thanks Wow. It's so interesting that so many um, of the teachers uh, that have appeared on Super Soul Sunday come from parents who were atheists. Yeah. Your parents were too. My parents were atheists. My mom was raised in Liverpool. She was actually baptized Church of England with her twin sister. And then she came over here and she, I think to have my father's love and respect sort of renounced the, the belief of, um, of not just Christianity, but just a spiritual way of life. So I would take her to midnight mass on Christmas and that was it. Yeah, that was so it. I, but the good thing was I got to really find my own way. Yes, but your parents were active atheists, not just, because a lot of people are sort of agnostic atheists, you know, but not fervently uh, wanting their children to believe in absolutely nothing. And that's how you grew up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My parents, I always um, thought, they worshipped at, like, the Miles Davis Holiness Temple, you know, the mm. Thelonious Monk Holiness Temple. The New York Times was a golden calf at which we bowed down. We worshipped, they were very, very left-wing, mm -hmm. intellectual, intellectual, very avant-garde, progressive. Uh -huh. Yeah. 
Are you ready to unlock your inner greatness? If so, make sure to listen to my podcast, The School of Greatness, hosted by me, Lewis Howes. Join me as I sit down with world-class performers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders to uncover their secrets to success with new episodes every single week. Whether you're striving for personal growth, business mastery, or simply seeking inspiration, The School of Greatness has something for you. And you can find it on SiriusXM, Pandora, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe and follow to the show so you never miss an episode and start your journey to greatness today. Like her parents, little Annie was bright, a good student, but the kids at school teased her relentlessly for her unruly hair and skinny build. A shy and sensitive child, she learned to fight back by making jokes. Writing gave her solace too, but by eighth grade, she says she turned to alcohol. Soon she was drinking regularly saying it made her feel brilliant and attractive, like the best version of herself. At 19, she was hooked and began experimenting with cocaine, speed, and LSD. Why did you start doing drugs? Why? Well, I just love not to feel my feelings. And I think I probably have a predisposition. Uh-huh. I probably think, I think I have, I'm definitely so addictive. I, I was a very frightened and shy child. I was too smart and I was too sensitive and I was shy and I was funny looking. I got bullied horribly and I could hardly breathe. I always felt like everybody else had been given the owner's manual that one day in second grade when I was homesick. You know, <laughs> and everybody else had the manual on how to have decent self-esteem and just enjoy yourself while you're here. I'd miss school that day. And uh, I was scared, and I was sad, and I was odd. I was different. And when I drank, I didn't feel any of those things. I felt pretty. If I was too thin, I felt the right weight. If I was overweight, I felt thin. I felt whole. I could breathe again. Mm-hmm. I would drink, and I loved it. And um, everyone loved me. I was, uh, you know, desperate, desperate people pleaser, desperate for people to approve of me, but doing very, very well in the world. But on the inside, it just felt like Swiss cheese, you know? And I had been raised to believe that what I was seeking was out there, that you could buy it, achieve it, lease it, date it, bring it home. (laughs) And I didn't know that it was going to be an inside job. And I didn't have a little toolbox of how to find it on the inside. I only knew to do better and better and better. So when you figured out that it was an inside job, how old were you? I think I probably had just gotten sober because I really... That's a gradual coming, isn't it? When you find well, I real- still believe I can buy a date to achieve and lease it. And <laughs> my, my default, um, it's like my base camp is believing it's out there. And if I like, if I can just get you to think I'm the greatest person, if I can just get the main reviewer at the New York Times, it's going to be like the FDA seal of approval. And I'm going to have finally arrived. But then I go, oh, honey, that's okay. (laughs) And we have a cup of tea, and I play with the dogs, and I go, it's an inside job, and I pray. And and we'll pass. I love the title of your book, Help Thanks Well. You say that these are the three essential prayers. Tell me how you came to that. Well, let's see. I got sober when I was 32. I had converted the year before. um, Converted to? To Christianity at this Mm. funny little integrated church in Marin City with about 40 people. So there was this sort of gap year (laughs) Uh where I came to church in not always excellent shape. But the thing was, 
they just welcomed me. They didn't, you know, they loved me. They didn't hassle me. They didn't want to make home visits, you know, which I would have run screaming for my cute little life. They didn't want me to learn anything. You know, they just let me be. When I first got sober, a lot of people would sort of remind me that we were walking prayers. We were miracles. We'd been fished out of the mm -hmm. stream. And, and uh, you go around saying, help me, help me, please. I'm so doomed. It's all hopeless. And then you get a break. You get Grace appears. You get a little bit of stamina you hadn't had, a little bit of, of second wind. And, and, uh, and then you go, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then I realized that maybe 10 or 15 years ago that if you were stuck spiritually, that if you just went outside, if you looked around, if you looked up, you went, wow. You know, if it was nighttime and the stars were out, you don't step outside and go, well, wow. it's a medium starry night. You <laughs> I step know. outside, you go, wow. wow. Yeah. I Holy just did cow. it last night. I yeah. just did it last night. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But to me, the three essential prayers are help me. And then, Oh, thank you, thank you. And then, whoa, or wow. Wow. I love that you say it, prayer is taking a chance that against all odds in past history, we are loved and chosen. We are loved and chosen. Yeah. It's easy to thank God for life when things are going well, you say on page 44, but life is much bigger than we give it credit for, and much of the time, it's harder than we would like. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's very easy to see God here. It's very easy for me to see God in my backyard with the dogs and with the, the very bitter cat that I call my own. But <laughs> when th someone's sick, when you get the bad phone call, when yes. someone's heard from the doctor, when the appearance of life is very, very shaky and seeming, it, it throws me completely off, off my game. It throws me for a loop. I think this can't be right. And I know now you believe that we can pray anytime, anywhere. Anytime, and you can say anything. Yeah. And you, I say to God sometimes, you have got to be kidding. <laughs> or I say, it would be so much skin off your nose to cut this person a little slack. And uh, I think you can say anything. You can say, I'm mad at you, mm -hmm. and I'm not going to be a good sport about it. How about that? And that's prayer. Silence can be prayer. Rage can be prayer. It's truth. It's all prayer. When we are talking to something that the rest of the world may not be seeing right that minute, we were talking from the deepest part of our heart. We're trying to tell the truth. That's prayer. That's prayer. Why is it so important to not get bogged down in what or whom we are praying to? Because you know, there are people who believe that if you only pray this way and if you only call it this, but why do you say that's not important? Well, because I just don't think that this side of the grave, we're really going to understand the mystery of God and grace. You know, we get little shards here and there, little bits of light. Mm -hmm. We know so little. We think we know so much. And um, to just use God as an acronym for life, for love, for good orderly direction. I love that you called him Phil for so long. I called him Phil because my favorite uh, scripture is Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in God, I say again, rejoice. Whatever's happening, say thank you, rejoice. So I was down in Mexico, and one of those guys, a vendor who, who writes your name on in embroidery, um, asked me my name, and I said, I want you to write Phil 4 through 7. He said, okay, but he w got busted <laughs> before he'd finished it, so it just said Phil. <laughs> and I thought, that's a great name for God. <laughs> so, um, but it also reminds me of 4, 4 through 7, which just says, just rejoice. 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 
Yeah. You say we could also call God Howard if you want to. You yeah. mentioned that in the book. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. people say, Our Father, who art in heaven, Howard be thy name. Howard be thy name. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think God cares. You know what? I so agree with you, Annie, because I can't imagine an omnipotent force that created all of this getting hung up on a name or title. Right. So, or a position. Or a position. Or, you know, or, or all the people that... Because omnipotence is the position. Lo yeah. yeah, love is the position. Yeah. And, lo and Einstein says there's exactly one thing. It's called energy. Mass is energy. Yeah. Some of it's going really fast like light. Some of it's going really slow like a table. Like but there's table. only energy. Can't be created. Can't be destroyed. You're made of it. So I think it's some sort of love energy, you know. And I think I'm made of it. think I'm made for it. think I'm made to be a part of something really huge that I'm never going to understand with my really limited human resources this side of the grave. Yeah. Carolyn Mays told us on the show a while back that people confuse prayer with wishes. Can I have more stuff or where's my stuff? But that's not really prayer. What do you say about that? What's the difference between prayer and what we wish for? Well, I think talking to God is prayer, and you know, we we um, kind of don't know what we're doing a lot of the time, which is what this book is about. You start where you are, you start where your butt is. Of course, you want certain things, or you wish certain things would unfold. But my pastor talks about that we live in the hope, not in the hope that we will get, or that this will work out, or that yes. we'll find this. We live in the hope that love is true and that God is true and goodness is true and that, that the light shines in the darkness and the light has never been extinguished. Not after Newtown, not after the tsunami in Sri Lanka. The light has not, we live in the hope that that is true. And when my best friend Pammy was dying 20 years ago, I said to a priest friend, I said, do you believe that God will catch her as she crosses over and her little daughter will be okay and will be loved and safe here without her and that I will see Pammy again? And he said, I hope so. And I never forgot that because we live in the hope. In the hope. In the hope of truth, in the hope of light, in the hope of spiritual healing. Because first of all, to hope makes you so vulnerable. I mean, if your heart is open, it's going to get bruised and knocked around the world, and life is going to knock you around. But to hope, it is to be a child again, and you must become. To hope is to children. put yourself in the vulnerable space. To hope is to be vulnerable yes. again, instead of to go, you know, whatever. It, it, to be in armor is what the world teaches you to do, to have a strong surface, to have a shell. And when you're in hope, you're kind of like a snail between shells, and you're trying to get from a very bad, dark, scary place to where you can breathe, where you can get the sunlight on you, get the air on you, and you can, we can be together, and we're going to be okay. Going to be okay. 100% of the time, in my experience. Are you ready to unlock your inner greatness? If so, make sure to listen to my podcast, The School of Greatness, hosted by me, Lewis Howes. Join me as I sit down with world-class performers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders to uncover their secrets to success with new episodes every single week. Whether you're striving for personal growth, business mastery, or simply seeking inspiration, The School of Greatness has something for you. And you can find it on SiriusXM, Pandora, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe and follow to the show so you never miss an episode and start your journey to greatness today. But what do you say to people, and I know you've been in these conversations, when terrible things happen, horrible things happen all the time in our country, in our lives and community, and people say, well, where was God? Yeah. Where was God in that? Where was God? 
Well, you know, Mr. Roger Selwood said was, look, his mother used to say, look to the helpers, look for the helpers, because that's where God is going to be. God didn't cause the tsunami. God didn't cause the shooter at Newtown to go crazy. The shooter at Newtown had mental illness, and there's a, 300 million guns in this country. But the God is in the help. God is in the healing. God is in the um, crying. The tears are going to bathe us. The tears are going to cleanse us. The tears are going to hydrate the ground at our feet. And who knows what's going to grow? The tears of the baptism. The baptism means, in an ecumenical sense, that yeah. you go under the water and you come out a different person. And the reason why it, it always works is because help is the prayer of surrender. Yes. You say that. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Now, the other prayer that you use is thanks which I think there is no greater way to create abundance in your life than, than through being thankful for what you have right now. Yeah, yeah. Life is just a phenomenon. To have been born is a miracle. What yes. are the odds? Yes. And to just go, wow, I don't get it, but thank you. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, the greatest lesson I got on thank you, or received on thank you, came from Maya Angelou. One day I was upset about something. Somebody had written something that wasn't true, and I was upset about something somebody had said, the tabloids were saying. And she said, stop right now and say thank you. Yeah. And I was like, but why would I say thank you? Because this is horrible and it's not true. And, and she would say, say thank you because you know that there's a rainbow in every cloud. Yeah. And wherever you are right now, you're going to come out on the other side of whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And all you got to do is walk right through it. Mm -hmm. So say thank you right now for allowing me to walk to the other side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that has been a great I lesson say for when me. I pray, I, when I pray, I say to God, thank you in advance for your tender mercies. And I'm, I live tender in, mercies. I'm living that. in the hope of that. Yes. And, you know, William Blake, the great, crazy, wonderful mystic said, um, we are here to learn to endure the beams of love. And everything is opportunity to learn to endure the beams of love with strangers at airports, at the Department of Motor Vehicles. You know, if your <laughs> heart is open, you start flirting with people. If you're a person who's here because you understand we're so hungry for giving, we're not hungry for getting, we're, not, we're hungry for giving. So you start flirting in line at the DMV, people start responding, you create the love you weren't feeling, you create this energy, you get in a good mood, right? And you get a better photo. And you get a cuter photo. <laughs> That's the most important thing, yeah. Uh, that's true, because there's always an opportunity to let that through. And to just learn to endure the beams of love. The culture tells you if you do well enough, if you achieve this, if you stop doing that, and if you really don't need quite so much of that, then, oh, so much love will come your way. And Blake says, no, we are immersed in it, and we learn to endure it, we breathe in it, and then we say, thank you. Yes. And now let's get to wow. 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 What makes you say wow? Everything. I wake up in the morning and I say wow, because for all those years when I was drinking, almost 20 years, I was not waking up in the morning going wow. I was waking in the morning going, oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> what did I do? Oh, what did I say? God. Oh God, who's that? Do I know that person? How did it go last night? Uh, and then you have to call around to sort of see if people are start still speaking to you. And so you don't Whoa. wake up in the morning going, wow, life is just a phenomenon. And, um, and I wake up every single morning, and I can be in, in pain. And I say, wow, and I say, hi. You know, hi is really oh, a huge prayer, too. I wake up, first thing I do in the morning is I say, hi. 
hi, it's me. And I look around and say, wow, my dogs are on the bed. I have like this much space usually to sleep in. So I I'm know, in this tiny cramped too. little space. <laughs> and the dogs begin their healing ministry of love. I let the dogs, and I say, wow. I say, wow. I love that. That is what it is, a healing ministry of love when they right, start their little right, morning thing right, and they right, want to be hugged right. and they were looking you and all. Right. It's their healing ministry And they ministry just look at you like, oh, my God, I just love you so much. How are you? How are you? I kind of have to pee, though, but I love you so much. How are you? Okay, yes. I know what. Let's all get up. Okay, I'm kind of hungry, too. And, and you get up and you know what you're going to do that morning. But I say, wow. I look at, I, look at, uh, I, I mean, I woke up in Maui this morning and I went, Oh my God, I went out on the beach, I went to church, and I said, thank you, thank you. I don't know how you got me here. Wow, what a trip. Wow, it also means, what a trip. <laughs> Another way of saying it is, holy Toledo, oh my God. My mind is blown by the beauty. My mind is blown. You know, I notice every single bird, and I say, wow, and I stop, and if they're close by, I want to tie, I say, hi. I notice every single butterfly. I notice every, I go, Wow, oh my God. And, or I won't like, say I notice yeah. every single bird because there are a yeah. lot of them around right. here, particularly yeah. in the evening, but yeah. yeah. And sometimes you say to a butterfly, look at you, like you would a little child with a great Pokemon t-shirt. I just did going up the mountain. Say, there was a monarch you. yesterday morning and I'm saying, look at you. Yeah, you look say, you. oh my God, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow, I, I say, wow. wow. Yeah. yeah. Sam, when he was about eight, said the funniest thing. He said, Mom, He's always talking to me rather strictly. He says, Mom, I have figured out why people use say the word God for God. And I said, oh, okay, what was that, honey? He goes, well, when you see something so beautiful and so amazing that you can't believe your eyes, you just go, God. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, maybe, I started to say, maybe it's the other way. And then I said, yeah, I think you're right. Yes. So I think that's what you go, God. When you wrote the book about what it was like to raise your son. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Operating instructions. Operating instructions. Yeah. Known as the author who perfected the art of saying the unsayable, Anne certainly did that when she published the bestseller Operating Instructions. This raw and unflinching memoir documents the good, the bad, and everything in between during the first year of her life as a single mother to her beloved son, Sam. Anne's brutal honesty gave mothers everywhere permission to just be themselves. When you wrote Operating Instructions, were you writing that as much for yourself as for everyone else? No, I was writing it for myself. You were writing it for yourself. Because Sam's father, who he didn't meet for a few years, his best friend came over and was very excited that I was going to have a baby. And, um, and he gave me a leather journal. He gave me the gift of a leather journal. Mm. And he said, I want you to write down a sentence every day, which is what I tell people. You've read my Twitter. So read yes. my Facebook. Say, write down a sentence every day. Yes. Just do it because God's given you a gift and you want to tell your story. And I wanted to tell the story of how Sam was given to me by God at the age of 35 years old. Started writing little by little, bird by bird, and I sent it to my agent and she said, and remember writing on paper, remember that sacred scritchy sound of paper yes. and pencil? Well, that was how I wrote it on, on these journal um, pages. And I'd tear them out and send them to my agent. She'd say, um, they're speckled with tears. She said these pages, and she said, just keep doing it. So I, she said to keep doing it. I did everything she ever said. So I kept doing it. But you know, if you tell the truth, it turns out to be universal. So I was saying all this outlandish stuff about being a mother. And I would tell people, and they wouldn't go, well, that is just, just terrifying. Yeah, they yeah, say, they, me they, too. They go, me too. Yeah. 
Well, I remember once when I was going, I was going to India, and India. I always, and I hate, I don't travel well, I don't believe in the concept of flying, and I'm terrified. You don't of, believe no, in the No, I don't believe in it conceptually. And I went up to the altar, and I asked the people in my church to pray for me, because I was getting on the plane the next day, and she said, you know, honey, when you get on an airplane, it's sort of too late to ask for beggy prayers. And she said, it's really time for trust and surrender. What did you think of India? Have you ever, ever experienced anything? My mind was so blown. Isn't it? My mind was blown. I was just there for like 12 days, and I loved it more than I could ever put into words. And I, you know, I one billion people praying at the same time, one billion people in prayer, right? Yes. What, what it felt like to me was that here is, is an entire nation of people who are living, breathing spirituality all the time. They, they, they are it. They exhibit it. They demonstrate they it in everything. Yeah. They are they it. They are pure being. Yeah. And you feel that pulse, that vibrational yep, there's pulse. there's a vibrational thing. And it, it's, it's mind-altering. It changes you. You come, it's like baptism. You come back a different person. Yes. Mm -hmm. And how did it change you? I, uh, it, it expands your, your yeah. perception. It's yeah. like a new pair of glasses. And I see everything differently now. You know, I see the poorest of the poor. I see the, the most destitute people on earth. And they're living in the hope that they will be provided for. They're living in the hope that people will see them and say, here is some rice. And they're getting, they're living on the streets. They're getting each other up. And they're getting their kids ready for school. I know. And a little bit of food has come by. Getting their kids ready for school. Uh, you know, we visit a family where th their entire house was the size of, th from this right, chair to that, right, and, right. and there are right. five people sleeping right. in the same room. Right. I shall never forget it. And right. there is a level of contentment mm -hmm. and order and harmony with the rest of the people. And everybody's taking care of everybody else. Whether in India or at home in California, Anne Lamott writes what she says is on her heart. So it makes sense that when she heard about the tragic shootings at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut, she put pen to paper, hoping to give her readers that sense of order, harmony, and meaning during that time of such great loss. Well, this whole show is about talking about the search for meaning. That's yeah. what we do on, on Super Soul Sunday, the search for meaning. And now you've written a book about the search for meaning. Yes, I have. It's called Stitches, a handbook on meaning, hope, and repair. And it's a, it be, I started the day after Newtown because I was beyond stunned. And I thought, where do you find meaning anymore? Where do you even start? Mm. And um, I've asked myself that a number of times over the years. Where do you even start? It's interesting. I wasn't stunned by Newtown at all. No. You know why I wasn't stunned? I wasn't stunned because I started out as a young reporter in Baltimore. Mm. And I remember consciously being aware of Mothers Against Drunk Driving, that movement, mm -hmm. and how it affected um, drunk driving and how hard it was to build momentum. And I remember as a young reporter going out to cover stories, an accident, and the assignment editor on the desk would say, you know, is it, how many people injured? And, you know, the nature of news is that, oh, two people injured, well, Okay, that will decide where it is in right. the lineup. Mm -hmm. Five people injured, seven people injured by a drunk driver coming from 
choir practice. Oh, that's going to be headline story. That's going to make the six o'clock headline. That'll be the 11 o'clock headline. And what I started to see was that it took seven children and a school bus driver who was drunk to really get people's attention before people would start to think. And so the second I heard about Newtown, I said, so that's what it took in order for people to stop and pay enough attention to have the conversation. I feel the same way about texting and driving. How many, there has to be a critical mass number of people harmed before people realize, oh, that's a bad thing. Maybe we shouldn't do that. But it got the country's attention. It at least started the conversation in it a way that we hadn't had it before. Breaks your heart, but you know, uh, it was the Leonard Cohen poem that, yes. you, that there's cracks and everything, and that's how the light gets in. Light so gets a little in. bit of light got in. But, uh, and for that, we're grateful. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, I love the parents, the Wheelers, who were on Capitol Hill and, oh, yeah. and, and did that beautiful interview with Bill Moyers, who said, and when they said, you know, we are not going to give up. And we are determined to use this moment in time to get people to sit and listen to people of different opinions because right. we cannot continue to move forward unless we're willing to listen to each other. Yeah. And the, 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 these are parents who lost their six-year-old boy mm -hmm. who can come to that kind of um, resolution and, and peace about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that willingness to show up and, and tell the, the willingness truth, to show up no matter that it breaks their heart every time they say those same words. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. And so to write the book, Stitches, about finding meaning in a world that produces Newtown, what is the answer? The answer is always you start where you are, you start where your butt is, you start in the not knowing, you start in grief, you start in being speechless. Yes. You start in the silence, you start in the tears, you start in community, you gather together. The book is called Stitches because all you have to do when you start repairing something is know one place to start, one place in the torn fabric that will hold the knot. You start there. And so I thought metaphorically, you just need to know one place to start. And then you start, you find one place and you test it. Will it hold? It's torn, mm -hmm. but will it hold? If you fold it over, it'll hold a stitch. I've brought in two pieces of fragment together and I just keep going one day at a time. What is your experience of God now? What is your experience of God? Oh, Oprah, I just feel him. I just feel him. You know, I always have said and written that I feel like the love of a dog is the closest we come to knowing divine love, this side of, of eternity, this side of the grave. And, and uh, I just experience his companionship. I just feel God. I just feel that I am loved and, and chosen and that he's my best friend and that when the two of us are sitting right here, that there's three of us and that we're made of that energy. We're made of Holy Spirit energy. So you experience God in all things, all people? Do you see God in other people? I see God in every person. You believe in heaven and hell? I um, do. Yeah, I don't believe in a hell of eternity because God is a God of love. I know hell. Mm -hmm. I know hell on earth. So are you optimistic for where we are? I am a, a very as a, as a crabby optimist. Yeah, yeah. If I, again, were God's West Coast rep, I would have things work out 
better sooner. I would have a system that was more predictable. Yeah. And, and and because grace well, that's does obviously not the way the world works now. <laughs> well, I really it used to be that. pretty predictable. It I used mean, to in be. the fifties, yeah. when when yeah. you were born and I was born, it was pretty predictable. The world was a lot safer. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure in the fifties, you went to kids' houses, you'd go over at dusk. You could run, I could run down to your house, and yeah. now, like, you'd have to have armed guards, you know, at dusk to get children you safely home. You can't let your children out at dusk. You don't let your children out at dusk. No. And we used to just get on our bikes, and we would ride literally all day. Oh, I remember, remember that. Remember that? Yes. It would be so good. And then you'd find a nickel, and you'd go to the drugstore and buy a Hershey bar. And all day, you'd check in with your parents at dinner time. Oh, my goodness, yeah. So I'm a, a crabby optimistic. I believe that when all is said and done, that love is sovereign here, that when my grandchild is uh, 50-year-old's love will still be sovereign and that grace will be sufficient for whatever appears in his life and in the greater reality of this earth. Grace will be sufficient. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> you were Anne Lamott. Thank you. Thank That's you. Great. Thank you. You're welcome. What a pleasure to sit with you. You're welcome. Thank you for coming all this way. Grace will be sufficient. Grace will be sufficient. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. 